Welcome to Full Scope, a weekly medical podcast designed to teach, inspire, and encourage listeners to question everything they know. I'm your host, Bill Brandenburg. Welcome to part two of preventative screenings. If you didn't join us for part one, that was about pediatric screenings and preventative health. Please take a look at that if you haven't already. It's a very good uh, resource. In this podcast, we are once again going to be covering the recommendations of the United States Preventative Services Task Force, and in particular, once again, regarding obstetrical care. Let's jump right in with their grade A recommendations. The first is regarding vitamins. In fact, vitamin B9, folic acid. You don't see very many uh, examples of where vitamins in an otherwise healthy person without deficiencies is helpful. And so this is one of very few. But the recommendation is that women of childbearing age take between 0.4 and 0.8 milligrams of folic acid every day to prevent neural neural tube defects the most common being spina bifida. Other grade A recommendations include checking labs for hepatitis B, HIV, and syphilis at the first prenatal visit. Um, These infections are very important as they can potentially affect baby both during pregnancy and you know during the periparty period and then immediately after in infancy. Uh, I wanted to review some of the torch organisms. The torch organisms are the infections or the uh, microorganisms that can actually cross the placenta and infect baby. And torches is a common acronym used to help remember those. Uh, The TO stands for Toxoplasma gondii. The R stands for rubella. The C stands for cytomegalovirus. The H stands for HIV. There's actually another H2, and that's um, HSV, or um, herpes simplex virus. And then the S in torches stands for syphilis. And so those are always uh, are all very important to keep in mind when thinking about infections that could potentially go from mom to baby. There are additional organisms that can cross the barrier as well. Uh, some of the noteworthy ones are Coxsackie B, poliovirus, parvovirus B19, listeria, and then of course um, Zika virus and microcephaly uh, before there was uh, Ebola and uh, SARS-CoV-2, there was Zika, or maybe it was after Ebola. It's hard to remember. Anyway, grade A recommendations also exist for counseling women about smoking and advising them to stop if they are currently doing so, that is tobacco smoke. Uh, Other smoking is probably bad as well, but this is specifically for tobacco. The final grade A recommendation is to check for RHD blood type at the first prenatal visit for all women. This will help prevent mismatches between mom and baby's blood later in pregnancy and after delivery that could potentially result in dangerous hemolysis. Okay, on to grade B recommendations. Remember that grade B recommendations are still considered good, but there's a higher risk for harm and a potential lower risk for benefit. But still, in general, most people recommend doing this stuff. The first one is to screen for urinary tract infection in pregnant women regardless of symptoms. That's why at that first prenatal visit, we grab a urine. And the reason being is because if women are pregnant and do have what we call asymptomatic bacteriuria, 
they can actually or are more likely uh, to develop an infection. So we actually recommend treating that even if they're not having symptoms. That's the only population you're supposed to treat in the absence of symptoms. Uh, the next recommendation is to refer depressed pregnant and postpartum women for therapy. We see a lot of depression in pregnancy and uh, postpartum blues or postpartum depression are also really common. So don't forget that. Talk to your moms. They feel alone. They're overwhelmed. Uh, help them out with their depression. Next, uh, you're supposed to check blood pressure throughout pregnancy. This is obviously to screen for preeclampsia and other um, potential medical problems. Um, the next one is to support breastfeeding and provide interventions to facilitate breastfeeding. Honestly, I was very surprised that this didn't get a grade A recommendation. I didn't dive deeper into the evidence. But for so many reasons, breastfeeding is uh, so important, and I think that we should always be encouraging that and facilitating that and trying to build a society where most people are, are breastfeeding. The next recommendation is regarding women at risk for preeclampsia. Remember that preeclampsia is a disease of pregnancy characterized by high blood pressure and increased protein excretion in the urine. When people then develop seizures, we call that eclampsia. The issue is thought to be the placenta, and the treatment is generally to get the placenta out. But anyway, the recommendation is that women at risk for preeclampsia should start taking a baby aspirin daily, starting at 12 weeks of pregnancy and then continuing through. Uh, the next recommendation is regarding diabetes. Uh, this is, I think, a really important one, especially as our population becomes more overweight and more unhealthy. But it's that women uh, at 24 weeks of pregnancy should be screened for diabetes. Um, there's not really good evidence to screen before 24 weeks, and people at high risk, it may be helpful to screen after, but the recommendation is specifically for that probably 24 to 28 week period. And the final group B recommendation is regarding repeat RHD antibody testing in RHD negative women later in pregnancy. Unless, of course, the dad is also known to be RH negative. There is insufficient evidence for testing pregnant women for lead, iron deficiency anemia in the absence of symptoms, and as said above, testing for diabetes prior to 24 weeks of pregnancy. The only group D recommendation regarding pregnancy is that women should not be universally screened for bacterial vaginosis in the absence of symptoms. Bacterial vaginosis is an overgrowth of anaerobic bacteria, most notably Gardnerella vaginalis, causing discomfort, discharge, and odors in the vaginal canal. There are so many additional things we do to women during pregnancy which are not commented on by the United States Preventative Task Force. I'm sure that other organizations like the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, the American Academy of Family Physicians, and many other groups have, from around the world have, have other recommendations and things regarding that. I encourage you to look into everything that you do every day in your practice and decide if there's good evidence for it, okay evidence for it, bad evidence for it, and then make a decision about how you want to care for your patients moving forward. It's really important that we don't just look at evidence, but that we also think. During my short career, I've seen a rise in evidence-based medicine, and I think in general that's a really good thing, 
But what I've also noticed is that people are tending to think less and less. I think for every study that you look at and for every piece of evidence that you're evaluating, you need to think about how the specific patient that you're thinking about doing a test on fits into the study population from the particular study or from the groups of studies. And then, of course, how things have changed or different or other variables. The final subject I wanted to touch on was electronic fetal monitoring. As we all know, it's very common for women coming into the hospital to be put on a monitor where we watch baby's heart rate throughout the duration of labor, basically. And interestingly, there's not great evidence to support the practice of that. Cochrane is a British charitable international organization. They perform studies to promote evidence-based medicine and practice. In 2017, the Cochrane Group did a meta-analysis that looked at continuous electronic fetal monitoring versus intermittent monitoring during labor. Interestingly, there was not a big difference in outcomes between the two groups. Some notable findings were that uh, the babies in the intermittent monitoring did have a slight but significant difference in the amount of uh, postnatal seizures, possibly from um, hypoxia. Um, another interesting finding was that women undergoing continuous electronic fetal monitoring had much higher rates of C-sections and operative vaginal deliveries. I think that's a great example of something that should probably be studying more. There's a good chance that we may be doing more harm than good with uh, continuous electronic fetal monitoring. And it would be kind of sad considering how many of us have been woken up throughout the night so many times because of a, quote, concerning fetal monitoring strip. And so I, I hope that we look into that one a little bit better. And I'd love to see a study come out on that. And I'm going to leave you with a sobering statistic about maternal health. From 1900 to 1984, maternal death rates dropped precipitously, largely due to public health efforts, but also from improved clinical care and other... Uh, since 1984, maternal deaths have actually been on the rise. This is thought to be due to an increasingly unhealthier pregnant population, and it certainly uh, represents a major challenge moving forward in the field of obstetrics. Okay, that is the end of part two. I hope you join us for part three, where we talk about preventative care in adults. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Full Scope Podcast. You can find a lecture summary, key points, and any references on our website, fullscope.org. Additionally, this is the official podcast of Wonder Medicine PLLC, a for-profit medical clinic located in Boise, Idaho. As Carly and I own the clinic and draw revenue from it, we thought we should uh, d disclose it as a conflict of interest. Disclaimer alert! It's a trap! The Full Scope podcast was designed and created for educational purposes only. It is not intended to diagnose, treat, or provide clinical knowledge specific to the care of any actual patient or population of patients. If you are in need of medical advice or treatment, contact a physician. The views and opinions portrayed on Full Scope are Dr. Brandenburg's. They do not represent the views or opinions of Wander Medicine Clinic, 
any of the academic institutions mentioned on the Full Scope podcast or website or any of the hospitals which Dr. Brandenburg has or currently works at.